You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Is your perspective similar to what's attributed to Michael Jordan, to where he says, I've never lost, I've just run out of time? Is that kind of your perspective on, you know, the tenacity that and the positivity that you bring to it? I never lost. I just need more time. That's how I feel. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. And in today's episode, returning guest Ivan Bebic is joining me. And I asked Ivan to come on the show because over the last uh, several years, I've had many conversations with Ivan, uh, not recorded, not specifically about the companies uh, in which he's involved and founded, but about the industry in general and also about success as an investor and a mining entrepreneur. So I asked Ivan onto the show so he could share a little bit about his perspective on those things and how he's experienced success and failure and success again in his career. Uh, Ivan is the co-founder and has been involved in bringing Fury Gold, Tier 1 Silver, Torque Resources, and Copernico Metals to market. So Ivan, thanks for coming on the show for a little bit of a different interview with me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Bill. Great, great to be here. Let's start with your genesis. You know, how did you get interested in the mining industry and late teens, early 20s? What were you doing in your career at that point? So I actually first started in the business back in high school when I learned of Robert Friedland. Um, I grew up hearing Friedland stories because my dad was friends with Robert Friedland. And I learned of a little company called African Minerals and unfortunately got into a car accident where, you know, obviously had an injury there, but I got some money from the accident from insurance companies. And I made my first investment in 1995 into a company called African Minerals that took 17 years to get public. And it's known today as Ivan home mines, which is doing extremely well in Africa with Robert Friedland. And so that was my first foray before I went off to university. And when I came back, I was propelled by a business professor. I studied business and political science to get to become a stockbroker. And I'm not sure why he picked me after class one day to do it, but it sounded appealing to me and I learned more about it. And before you knew it in my early twenties, I was a stockbroker charging ahead during the peak of the dot-com. And I quickly, you know, found a very hard way into a market that was really frothy at the top and dot-coms were doing $200 IPOs, kind of like what you're seeing in crypto with the move in crypto has been huge to the upside. It was that time for the dot-com era And I read a book about Warren Buffett called Buffettology, and I was my first insight to what a true contrarian was. And shortly after, I learned about Rick Rule. And so that was kind of the pioneering days of my career. Now, as a stockbroker in my early 20s, 22, 23, I was first year was great, you know, bought mining stocks, you know, got 200 clients. I was really excelling in the business. And mining stocks were in the pennies. This was before any of them went back into the dollars. Kinross was 80 cents. It had gone to $20 a few times since then. A lot of the industries, people said, heard me this up and comer young guy and in Vancouver, nobody really wants to see that. They said I was crazy and mining would never be what it was previously in the 90s. And I said, you're right. I think it's going to be much better a couple of years out. I found myself advising CEOs on how to finance and market their companies better to brokers so they could raise more capital and perform. And these are ones that I was heavily invested in with my clients. But in my second year, I had a client and he blew up on his margin calls and it, I went negative a million dollars at 23. And that was that was a very deep hole to go into and how it works in a brokerage firm. If your client owes it, you owe it. 
And, um, you know, I got through that. I came out of that at the end of that year, which was 2001. I had decided that the brokerage industry wasn't rewarding enough for the pain and the lack of focus, meaning you had to follow 200 companies for your clients, for your 200 clients to be informed all the time. And you would split half of what you made with the brokerage firm and the other half with Revenue Canada on, on doing really good things for clients. So I chose to make the switch to the issuer side. And I went to work with a gentleman named Dr. Romesh Klanka. He was known at the time for Sutton Resources, which was the discovery of the Bullion Hulu deposit, which sold for Barrick in 1999 for over half a billion dollars. But the share price had gone as high as $54 a share. And he became my mentor, technically. Uh, Roman was a brilliant geologist. He followed Barrick with the creation of Kaneco Resources, which sold to CVRD for a billion dollars, $22 a share. And he just, every day for about three years, I sat on his desk and he told me at the end of the day, this is what this color means. This is what I, he taught me geology. He taught me what mattered to major mining companies. He taught me about the tricks that people try to do that, you know, there's so many projects we looked at together and I raised them about $125 million in my early to mid twenties before starting Keegan was where I met Sean Wallace along the way, who was working with the Hunter Dickinson group. So what happened there was learned a lot and felt internal, you know, confidence to go do this myself. And I wanted to see if I could find a 5 million ounce discovery uh, Sean was working with Hunter Dickinson, who I knew the group well. They were the leading group in the industry with juniors, and they were very big marketers. And they had done a lot of discoveries and sales. So there was a depth of knowledge there that was paramount in, in building these companies to go find mines. So Sean and I hit it off. We met through a, a gentleman that plays tennis, and his name was Steve. And um, we, from there, got along great. And we both looked at each other, said we both want to work for ourselves. And we started Keegan. Keegan was... A very, very fortunate start um, with the outcome of finding a 5 million ounce gold mine. But we acquired seven projects, five in Nevada, and it was our second one in Ghana, West Africa, that became the discovery that went to 5 million ounces. And I got to experience discovery, raising tremendous capital. I was on the advisory board at the time, not CEO, because I was mid-20s. You know, I was young. And, you know, I, we put Dan McCoy, our chief geologist, on as a CEO, and he was a remarkably intelligent geologist and very lucky at the same time. And we drove ahead. Now, the stock went up to 575 per share, which is the highest of any of our companies, you know, since then. We still haven't crossed that threshold. And then when 08 hit, it went down to 49 cents a share and then back through $9 a share. So that experience there taught me a lot about market sentiment crashes where you are in the cycle. And, you know, going through Orin and going through the last year with splitting these companies and seeing the lack of performance in our share prices, it's tough. It's tough as a, as a chairman, it's tough as a CEO, it's tough as an entrepreneur in the space. And not just for me, but for a lot of other people in it, but I know what's on the other side. And that's why I'm still persevering. And that's why I'm so optimistic about how things could unfold for us here quite significantly. Charged ahead from Keegan, once the F word came out, which is feasibility, I, I lost interest. It's not my passion, not my calling to build mines. Um, my joy is finding it, creating the value and that hockey stick type share price return that investors dream about, which for Keegan was about 18 times our money from the 50 cent lower where we started the company. Um, I went to spearhead Caden while Sean built Keegan. And 
I had a chip on my shoulder and, and I, and I and how old are it. you now, Ivan? You're 30. I'm, uh, I'm 29 years old, 30 years old. And, um, I had this chip and, you know, this time I took the CEO reins on bang on. And, you know, I said, I want to go do what we did at Keegan, but I want to see if we can do it better, you know, as a team. So I led the charge, went to Mexico on, you know, an asset that sat next to Los Filos. And we went drilling there first. We had an option agreement. The company went public had only 7 million shares out and went to 15 and a half dollars within three months without any drilling, just an option agreement. Keegan was $9 at the time. And we split the company, Sean and I, three for one. And we did a raise for $20 million at $4.50 per share. And then the company went right down to 67 cents a share because the bull market was over. It officially was crashing. And when you look at the crash of that bull market, you know what I saw was it was the profitability that was lost in the major miners, which is exactly opposite the case right now. The industry had bottlenecked and the profitability of the largest mining companies in the world was tiny for the metal price being pushing $2,000 gold. And that's what really crashed the space. Nobody was making money anymore. So looking at that experience and charging ahead with Kate and my chip was I wanted to go and outperform that last success. And we got into a project called El Barqueño in Mexico. It showed extremely well. We built out a big land position. We did things that we didn't do in Keegan that we missed an asset sale on or a company sale on Keegan and had to build that mine, which primarily was taking a bigger land position around things we liked. And that was the missing link. And we further met some great geologists from Newmont back in the Keegan days. And this was Michael Hendrickson and Dave Smithson who joined the team. And we started to behave a lot more like a major in terms of what we were for and what we knew would meet the threshold. And they brought in a bunch of world-class experts and the kind of technical work they're able to do, or that as you know, a friend of mine and a CEO of Fury says, punching above their weight is what it is. It's massive. And it's in a business that's got declining geologists. There's less around and there's you know, limited groups that have this kind of capacity and discipline. So the results were selling Cade into Agnico Eagle in the expiration phase. The stock went from 67 cents to 360 a share. That's where the sale was. And you got Agnico shares. If you held those for 14 months, it went to $7 a share because Agnico Eagle more than doubled after we did that transaction, right? And an Orin was born. And this was back in 2015, you know, in the back of the sale. And we got into Committee Bay first. And this was 300 kilometer Greenstone Bell. Why didn't you, you retire know? after the second win, Ivan? It's not like you needed more money at that point. I did for six months. And I got kicked out of the house in the three months into that six month retirement plan. And I started to become an investor. And um, I just, I just missed it. And I felt we had a really strong team and I felt there was, I wanted to get a big, a top 20 world discovery on the belt. That That's my my mission from an investor. And that's my mission from an entrepreneur's perspective, right? Um, as, as Oren was coming together, Sean was leading the charge in the beginning with the acquisition of Committee Bay. I did take a position, a pretty substantial one in Gold Standard Ventures, which was run by John Odd and a guy named Luke Norman, who was one of my first clients when I entered the business. Um, company was around 50, 60 cents a share, and they needed help. And they were in the middle of a, a soft market or a bit of the bear market. I had the big win behind me on Caden, and Oren was outpricing itself because there was too many investors that needed somewhere to go. So what I did was... 
I joined them. I joined their advisory board. We bought as a group 18 and a half million shares below 60 cents average. And there was a time there where it was at 45 cents and I was the only bid on the stock. I bought way more than I planned to. And um, my geologist advised of not going on it. They were apprehensive about the project being a big Nevada discovery. And I had instincts. I heard enough about it. And instinctually, I liked it. And I felt like Nevada was a phenomenal address to be in. They were the second largest landholders. And eventually something good could happen here. And I believe in the gold market picking up. Long story short there, um, they were very successful in drilling North Dark Star. And with some creativity that came across their technical team, it, the share price went from 50, 60 cents to $4 a share, traded 100 million shares between 3 to $4 a share. Needless to say, it was another big win. And so that's technically my third win on the books of things I've really backed and got heavily involved in. And then or you had two steep losses or challenging periods on the way to that, though, didn't you? Yeah, the 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 Keegan five seventy five to fifty cents that that was dramatic. Um, I asked my my best advisors and mentors what to do at the time, and you know they said we don't know. And these are people. This is a gentleman that finances all the top billionaires in the space, and. If he doesn't know, and I'm I'm newer in the business, and he is, and you know, then, then my only commitment was I'm not going to go out as a penny stock if the 08 crash was going to be prolonged. So I was kind of the first guy out of Vancouver because we were finding five million ounces of gold. We were part way through the discovery, and so I, I learned a lot. Though I learned a lot of what it's like to be on top and what it's like to be on the bottom. I've learned to trust your team. I've learned to trust the rocks. I've learned to trust the process, and I've also learned to be patient. And that's something that doesn't resonate when I get excited about a project, but it's always there. And that's why I'm still here doing what I'm doing. In Caden's case, this was riding a, riding a falling market right down from 450 to 67 cents. And I was unpopular with some very good people that were supportive, but upset, you know, and we all called the marketer got caught together, but that ride down again, it was my second lesson, slightly different. It was a deteriorating market versus a crash. So I got to see both. And that experience is what, what really gave me that armor as an investor, as an entrepreneur, to weather through the critiques, the criticisms, and everything else and, and charge ahead with, with Orin. So th that's probably the most valuable experiences that I had in the business so far is losing uh, three different times as a broker going negative a million dollars planning and recovering from that to go way above a million dollars in the, in the green, um, seeing the portfolio and net worth go from multi-million to basically zero if I file taxes that year, you know, in Keegan, and then seeing it again in Caden, and then coming out with a, a much different perspective and a much bigger side of the green side to be on where it became fun. The team got big the swings that we're going for are huge. And, you know, something that I've always known, but now I've lived it, is it takes time to go find a world-class discovery. And the bigger you swing, the longer and the harder it is. And, you know, it takes time socially, as you're seeing in, in Sombrero. It takes time geologically. As we explore things, we get closer, you know, but it's worth it for me in the end. And I'll give you some examples when we get into the companies. But in short... If you hold a stock in a bear market for four years, and this is Orin or five years, it goes from call it 
60 cents to $4 a couple times or three or four times. So there's a lot of volatility back and forth. And then, you know, eventually it goes to 25 bucks a share or something like that. Was it worth it in year six or seven? And a lot of people will say, no, I could make money on crypto. I could do this. I can call markets better than, than the volatility. But the whole time, and the reason why it's been volatility to $4 back and forth a few times has been because the opportunities could explode with upside at any given time. Um, Ivan, if I could interject, is your perspective similar to what's attributed to Michael Jordan to where he says, I've never lost, I've just run out of time. Is that kind of your perspective on, you know, the tenacity that and the positivity that you bring to it? I never lost. I just need more time. Is how I feel. <laughs> I'd, I'd couch it that way, but um, it's very similar in that sense. And, you know, the way he trains his talents, he, he knows, you know, and he's run out of time. I mean, things out of his control. It's just very similar. And I think for me, I need a bit more time and I'm not bigger than the market. I've, we've performed as a group way outperformed the bear markets because of wins we've had in the middle of the bear markets, but we're not bigger than the market. And it finally leveled us, I think in this last year, because of COVID and restrictions that changed the game for everybody, but specifically disarmed us with the time of assay results and different things. But either way, um, going through what I just said, that experience is why I'm so calm and so excited about what's next in each of these companies. And the last point I'll make, which, which also happened to me in my career, was in the 2002 rally into 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that decade, I didn't own enough shares and I had opportunities in Aurelian. I owned shares early on. I bought it at $1.80, sold it a week later at $3. It went to $44 a share four or five months later. Um, IUC, which was a uranium company that Lucas Lundin had, was you could have bought millions of shares at 20 cents, had some on the books quite a bit, and you know went back to what I was working on. It went to $6 per share or, or better, right? And I've seen those kind of wins, but when you take apart those wins, and most recently, Philo Mining is a great example, you got to look at the time that's behind these things. Philo Mining has been around for 15 years before it hit those big holes recently and went to $15, but it was in the $2, $3 range. And that's a long wait with the right guy that finally hit it huge on the right asset and delivered again. I'm not looking forward to 15-year waits on some of these projects, but you can't go find big assets tomorrow. You can promote anything, but you can't find big mines tomorrow. It takes time. And the good news is, Bill, we're well into that into that 15-year plan. And I don't, I don't know that it's going to compare identical, but there's projects now that are in that drilling phase that could finally give those return across the entire group. Ivan, so when you make people money, they tend to get behind your next projects. And you, right out of the gate, you were successful as a broker and then you had success with your first two mining companies. And then we could say maybe there was a little bit of a drought after that with Orin in terms of the huge discovery that eventually would be bought out. When does that darling status wear off? Have you thought through that? And you know what is your take on that? Like uh, as you raise money and lead these companies? Um, I, I think the darling status can get vacuumed by an atrocious metals market, which is being front run by Bitcoin, the Dow and everything else, and all the reasons why gold market's gonna be so good when it comes to life. And if you don't hit that hole and those discoveries in that time frame, you start to lose it, right? And market, you get cold, you know, from being hot to cold. Um, I got a few people that have accused me or questioned me of whether I was lucky 
or whether I'm smart on what I've been able to achieve. And if you look at how many times I've gotten lucky, you could call it, or done things, after a few times, it becomes talent, not luck. You know, no one's that lucky to keep falling into it. And so I don't mind losing the darling status. I don't mind that because if you don't deliver, you can't expect to have it forever. I'm more interested in the fundamentals behind each investment so that I can get the darling status back and then use it across the group of companies that we have. And that's basically what we're going to do. Um, We have four companies that are active. One of those ones gets us back into darling status and we have some massive, massive projects. Then, Then I'm back, we're back in it and all of our companies will lift. Now, the fifth thing that I've done and the biggest sale I've done since Caden is the Homestake Ridge project that Tim Clark and I sold to Dolly Barton. That is a major deal for Fury. And it's a very, it's one we're very proud of. And we still don't know what it's going to be worth at the end of the day. If gold or if silver goes to $35 an ounce and gold goes to $2,400 an ounce, which is largely being discussed at the BMO conference by many and major fund managers between now and the end of the year. If that's the case and that gets bought or becomes liquid for us, how big is that check? How big was that transaction? And that's something that nobody else has done. So we've done something unique there and I'm very proud of it. It took three years to sell and monetize Homestake. And so I think that there's still, the story's not done yet. There's still so much left in what we've done the time it's taking is longer than we had anticipated, but things are getting closer and better on each swing we're taking. It's just not there yet. And I think that's the patience that's wearing thin, that's taking away a bit of darling status, but it comes back in one drill hole. You know that very well. And it, and it should already be improving because of what we've done with the uh, the homestake transaction, the position we put Fury in. If you're saying you need more time, then you're also communicating you're committed to your shareholders because what what retail investors and invest institution all types of investors don't like is when they're sold the potential and then when things get difficult, the CEO walks away and the share price crashes down to nothing and we're all left walking away. You know that's not your commitment though, is it? No, not not at all. Um, in each of my companies, I'm, you know, all except Torque, I think I'm the third largest shareholder, but I'm the largest shareholder in Fury, Tier 1, and Copernico. So <clears throat> that's me personally. If you take my family, who's massive supporters of what we do, and my in-laws, obviously, like my close personal direct family, we probably own about 12% of each company, including Torque, at least. And so we have huge positions. And when you put family money to work, you know, and whether I take a shareholder's money or family, I treat it the same way as my own. And I treat shareholders' money the same way in that sense. And that's that's the commitment. So I'm never going to let my own money or my family's money or my friends or shareholders' money go to zero. I'm never going to walk away. And there has to be strategy and there has to be other opportunities to go and make success for people. And I've always said that, yes, we're taking a huge risk. This could be the one. But if we're not right, we're falling into a better gold market down the road. And that can, you know, that floats all boats, gives us more opportunity. The challenge, though, that I've been more interested in, that's been more discreet than public, is making sure with Michael Henriksen and the team that the and Sean, that the pipeline of opportunities to win big is long. And there's multiple opportunities because we're in an odds business where you're one in a thousand are the odds you're shooting to make these big discoveries, right? So we have successfully done that across each company, we've found things that could do extremely well in multiple different targets over time. 
And we're just on the first ones of those opportunities in each company. And it took us a while to get here. Um, I had a call with, with a very important U.S. influential investor yesterday. And comments him and I had was, I'm more interested in being prepared because when this gold market comes together in the equities and juniors, it's like a light switch. And buying a big position, if you're not getting a financing, is impossible because the, the sellers dry up and the stocks move. They double, quadruple overnight. We saw it in 2020 when gold ran, how fast the market moves. But the bigger challenge is not buying these stocks, it's getting an asset and getting an asset ready to drill and actually having a drill in hand. Back when Caden was at 450, that financing and opening it back in the last tail end of the last bull market, it took us three and a half months to get the crappiest man portable drill rig to go drilling. And it was just a lousy drill rig. Three and a half months, Bill, just to get a rig, never mind assay times on the back of that. So in the case now, we have drills, we have projects, you know, we have a little bit left to do. But our anxiety has been, let's just make sure we're ready when we can actually get paid for something. Um, Bill, the, the results out of Eau Claire, the opportunity at Percival and Fury, the Eleanor joint venture, they've been so grossly missed by the market. And we don't blame it because the market's been so horrible and it's been a tough year you know, for the mining sector. But that will come into the share price at some point when the market turns positive. Nobody wants to hear about much unless it's you know game-changingly obvious until the market is screaming. And so those are all muted discoveries. And I'm glad in one way that there's better holes in front of us across that entire portfolio projects than there were behind us. We drilled 10 meters of 14 grams at Committee Bay, big step out from the deposit. And we've found a big way to make that much bigger. But the yawn on the share price and the, and the lack of speculation that's in the sector would have you think the results weren't as good. Um, I'm having trouble explaining to people how good things are going and how less and less we're getting value for it. But I do know, because I've been through it before a few times, as we've covered in this call, I do know eventually you catch up and then you, you exceed beyond all other companies. And you look at the profile and you look at it from a more of a on paper perspective and eventually it's going to catch up and, and it's going to really be controlled by gold equities, the juniors, the majors, supply, demand, all of the things that are in favor for gold, inflation. We are in turbulent times. There's a war that just broke out and there's a lot of volatility, concern of a crash. There's a sentiment issue, not a commodity price issue right now. Barrick is making money hand over fist. They had to do a buyback to get paid for it. And that's now changing it. But that, that's the biggest signal to where the market is. If the second largest gold company in the world has to buy back to catch up to its peers in valuation, it's 10 times harder for juniors. We're out of flavor. And they generally go first. So from that perspective, outside of drilling you know, once in a lifetime type of holes and all of our projects carry that potential, you know, it's it's tough sledding. So again, we are buckling down. The fundamentals are driving way further than our share price on each company. And when it comes to fruition, I think we're going to catch up fast because I've seen it before. Keegan recovering to $9 a share, uh, Caden coming from 67 cents, getting bought out at 360, going through those waves plus other investments that I've been in, you know, I've seen, I've seen these before. So it's, to me, it's very calming, very patient. I don't like the word long-term because I'm like everyone else. I want things to happen tomorrow. However, 
We just have to be patient a bit longer. I think we're very close to the turn in the market. And I think we're better positioned than most of the juniors out there in the entire space, whether they're getting better value today or not. I think at the end of the day, our fundamentals are, are far superior. Uh, 18 months ago or so, when Orin merged with East Main, you spun out Fury, Tier 1, and then also what is now uh, Copernico Metals. Why did you choose to be the CEO of Copernico Metals? At the time, Ivan, I thought it was because Sombrero was the most prospective project. And I said, Ivan wants to take the charge here and sell this for multi-billion dollars. Uh, was my thinking correct? Um, no. Um, I, I think that each company has that kind of potential. And I felt at the time that Sombrero, which was the name of it before Copernico, I felt it was the toughest one to bring get through the communities and bring to market. And I felt if that was the biggest challenge. So I chose the hardest company out of the three. And it's the only one not trading yet due to that challenge. It's progressing very well. And there's a lot of great things going on with it. But I chose the hardest one, Bill. And I'm the one that likes challenges, right? In hindsight, um, if I knew it was going to take this long to get to market with Copernico, I would have gladly been the, the CEO of Fury out the gate. And reason why is it's in the number one jurisdiction, arguably with Nevada. Quebec is top in the world. It's got an asset that's worth a lot at $1,500 gold. It's got a joint venture with Newmont and others. And it's got now $60 million in marketable securities. And it had the best safest profile and it has committee bay which has always been my dream project it had the safest profile it has parallel upside to what sombrero could deliver to what tier one could deliver to what all of them could deliver and you know we tried i tried with the new ceo there we tried and we ran into a different strategy from development to exploration we've repositioned ourselves with more of a capital markets focus and money into finding things versus developing things and i think now the company's on good standing um would that be considered your greatest mistake from the whole spinoff when you look back of what you would do differently um you know that i didn't take the lead at the time you know it's it's easy to make a perfect decision in hindsight. And at the time, it was the smartest decision to make because had Sombrero come to light or come online in the first quarter, like we had thought it would, that would have been the wrong decision. So hindsight's it's it's very unfair to, to go that way at the time. It was the best decision we could have made. Um, could I have done a better job with Fury's share price and with its performance? Um, you know, honestly, Bill, I think a lot of investors sold and they're waiting for Copernico. And I think a lot of investors sold tier one, which we financed at a dollar, it opened at a dollar ninety Canadian waiting for Copernico because I chose the CEO job of Copernico. So I think the mistake in hindsight was. I should have picked the one that's coming trading first, got that one right, got that one going and went to the next. But even in my best days, even with a big win behind me, the market that came down and the challenge that Fury had, and you saw it, it was the COVID factor. And no one even talks about it, but 90-day assay returns. How do you build momentum? How do you plan better on your drilling when it takes 90 days to get an assay result back versus three to four weeks, which is the which is the general time that it would take, right? And so that's the factor that caught us all. It caught me off guard. It caught several other companies and it hurt the entire space is the momentum of news flow was not matching the amount of money that was being spent and needed. And that was detrimental to the entire space. So to rewind back to that question, we made the best choice at the time. We, had a, we made the, the right choice with the right person um, until the markets changed and we ran into all these hurdles. And the only thing that 
you know, to make this a better choice on the performance and how things went. It was the pivot we made in August, September of last year with Fury to go out and, you know, find a different path towards exploration, lean out the company, delete the development part. And we didn't do this because it was cheaper necessarily. We did this because of what we finally learned in the third and fourth quarter was there's a lot more here to find at Eau Claire, specifically on the hinge and snake lake. There's, there's a, one of the best targets in the entire business is first of all, to go and offset 92 meters of two grams or seven meters of nine grams in, in a totally mistargeted project that barely got drilled, you know, that there's a lot more targets around with. Um, that's, that's what drove the shift more than anything else. We started finding that development was premature and there was a lot more to find in these projects. And then Eleanor joined venture with Newmont and Asm and ourselves there's a target developing there. It's still early, but it's, you know, it's 11 kilometers from the Eleanor mine. If you find it, you know, what, what better place to go find a really good target and make a big discovery. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I don't mind the miss by the market. I can't apologize for COVID and what it did. I can say that as a large shareholder, as my family backing the last funding, being an inside buyer, starting to add more to my position now, it's all indicative of how really well put together that company is and what its next steps are going to be. And I'd say the heavy lifting is done. We do have to raise a bit more money there, but it's, you know, between now and next February, we get the free trading shares of Dolly, not saying we're going to go sell them day one, but we're going to be in a really good position that if we are looking for more capital, aren't, you know, needing more, we're going to, we're going to take dilution out of our equation forever after another modest funding between now and June sometime. Ivan, five years from now, this is the last question. Where do you envision yourself career-wise? Yeah, I'm trying to become unemployed. That That's my goal. And, uh, and I say that a uh, bit of facetious or sarcasm here, because um, if I'm unemployed, it means all the companies have been bought out that I'm involved in. And that's the only way we'll get to that point. Right. And so uh, I see a path. I see a path on Fury 100%. I think that company is the best position gold junior with its recent deal with Homestake and its targets in front of it in the entire business. Um, tier one silver. Um, we came out with a massive arm swing there because kilos of silver, 70 rock samples in a widespread area over 20 kilometers run from one kilo to 300 kilos silver. That's a phenom. I've never seen that globally in anyone's silver project company. And we started drilling, you know, plus kilo, 1.2 kilos over a meter half in our last holes. We started to hit that bonanza grade and we finally figured out where, what part of the horizon, what part of the system to go target all that high grade silver. So that's a spectacular event. It is a fantasy stock. And what I mean by that, Bill, Silver is the best performing equity. If we keep drilling beside and underneath that plus kilo, the bonanza grade, ounces will add fast. It's on one of the most prolific mining trends in the world. And there might be a porphyry nearby as well. That's a dream come true. Copernico Metals is sitting here today with the most ambitious CEO in the world of anything. And that's who I am. And I am chomping at the bit. There's a lot going on in it. It's going to come out here over the next few months before we come to market. It's got huge opportunities and there's a bit more to the story that's not quite in the narrative yet, but between now and when it gets listed, which we're targeting for June, it's going to become a incredible opportunity for shareholders to follow and be invested in. And that's what's on the horizon. And lastly, but not least, Torque. Torque has got an asset 
that already has a thousand meter, 900 meter drill hole into it next to some of the, the bigger mines in the world, Caspiche or the former Caspiche, now owned by Newmont and Barrick, Abierte Norte is what it's called. Um, that's about, I think it's 7 million pounds of copper and 23 million ounces of gold. And it's like a kilometer away from one of the targets. And there's four or five targets. You know, it's described as the big brother of Caspiche because of the endowment for potential for both gold and copper and stuff. And it's been largely missed by the market because it fell on a Chilean election that's resolved without any major movements towards mining. And it's got some near-term milestones that will really turn that around. But it is something you dream about as an exploration investor. I want to be part of a company like Philo Mining, 1,000-meter intercepts. This company has the discovery hole, but no follow-up. And it has the backdrop of gold and copper market that could really drive it into those price returns that we've talked about. So I feel... As an entrepreneur, Bill, I feel extremely well prepared for success that can be achieved in this bull market. I feel like we have the technical personnel, the key personnel that are going to be impossible to find when the market picks up. I feel like we're about to start drilling on all of these projects. Obviously, there's a narrative to be completed on Copernico, but we're drilling Fury in April. We are drilling tier one in May, call it maybe May, June. We're drilling torque in April. Like we are now going to go the next leg up. And we can't really, we don't want to delay drilling and wait for markets, but we think our timing just keeps getting better because we're getting closer towards that turn. So, you know, our goal here, Bill, is to all be unemployed with these companies, not just myself with the team. And we'll keep doing it after that. But for the most part, it's to get unemployed in the next five years in one of the craziest bull markets we'll ever see. And I think that, you know, if you look back on any sector, whether it's tech or cannabis or what have you, it's usually the guys and the investors who buy early, painfully early, are underwater, are frustrated, but hold on at the end. That's where the most money's made. That's where the most money for me has been made in my career. And it's it's substantial what I've been able to achieve with those long-term weights. And so the question that gets missed a lot is nobody asks me right now about the fundamentals. Nobody asks me about how I feel about the target at Percival or how I feel about the next drilling at Eau Claire. No one's asking me that. Nobody's asking me about the next drilling, how confident we are in the next drilling at Tier 1. No one's asking me about on torque and I'm or, or what's going to happen at Copernico. A lot of people are focused on share price. They're focused on liquidity events and they're looking for share price gratification. And the question that's more important, especially when you're down or you're stuck, is it getting better fundamentally? Do you like your targets more than you did last year or less? You've done a lot of work on them. Those are the questions you have to ask because no matter how good we are, anybody is, it's going to be tough to perform in an unstable, turbulent market with volatility. But you want to know how good could this be when the market turns up? And it could be spectacular for each of the companies I've talked about. Well, Ivan, I hope that you truly do find yourself unemployed. But I suspect that with your own capital, you will reemploy yourself with another opportunity because you're an opportunity junkie. Is that fair to say? You know what? Um, focused opportunity junkie. I'll, I'll take that. And uh, and when you when you when you learn how to do something, and you've got great people to work with, from right from the receptionist to the top of the company, you have a team that can really deliver and pulls as hard as you pull. You want to keep working with that, and and those teams are 
20 years for us to build it, for me to build it from my end of it, you know, together, we've worked all together, most of us for about 15, 16 years. Right. And so um, if you have the tools to build it, go build it. And, you know, it's fun to look for mines when they're impossible to find, because we know when we finally find one of these big mines, the reward will be more than worth it. And, you know, I think we're all going to be extremely happy. The mining business is a tough business, the exploration business, potentially even harder. And that's why people matter all the most. As Rick Rule says, it's all about the intellectual capital with these early stage opportunities. Uh, that's why I've invested in Ivan's company. And Ivan is also a sponsor of my show. And Ivan, thank you for being a sponsor of the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.